Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why? But this is something a bit different. It's a condensed version. It's our favourite conversations about tricky subjects, revisited and reduced into bite-sized chunks. Welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week we're going to be looking at optimism and I'm going to be talking to Ed Miliband. Ed has been the Shadow Secretary of State for Climate Change since 2021. He was the leader of the Labour Party from 2010 to 2015 and launched the Reasons to be Cheerful podcast in 2017. Goodness, you really are an old hand in the podcasting world, with co-host Jeff Lloyd to explore the ideas, people and movements that are pioneering change and transforming communities in the world worldwide. And also, I realise I haven't mentioned your book that I'm going to just bring into camera. You've also got a brilliant book out, which I've been trying to read as I go to bed, but um, it's quite heavy going, actually. I mean, it's sends light. You, sends you to sleep, doesn't it? Well, it's just like, oh, these, these are really big things to be trying to put into my brain as we go to sleep. But we'll talk about that in a second. To get into the topic, optimism, do you consider yourself an optimist? At times, I do. Um, yes, I, don't, I think maybe it's sort of, maybe it's part of the job description of being a politician that you have to, particularly a Labour politician, that you've got to be optimistic. And maybe my... Um, you know, maybe this, maybe the Capricorn thing is relevant here. That uh, you know, because people all know, and you said in the introduction that I was uh, leader of the Labour Party until twenty fifteen. I, you know, this, it was an election which some people thought we might win, including I thought we might win, and then we didn't win. Um, and so you have to have, well, you definitely have to have stoicism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you go, you go from sort of. You know, if you go from being leader of the Labour Party to having lost the election and then mm-hmm. resigning, you go from sort of awaiting for your awaiting your call with Barack Obama to kind of waiting for a call from the PPI. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, uh, um, so, so yeah, I think I, I'm overall an optimistic person. I'm overall an optimistic person, definitely. Um, I sometimes find it's tested, but I, but I, but I. I think sort of overall, I feel optimistic about the world, even though the world has massive problems. And I feel quite, and I feel very optimistic about people. I think mm. one of the things that's interesting about having done the job I do is obviously, you know, I meet lots of people, some people who recognize me in the street. And, you know, I think it gives you a very positive view of the country, actually, maybe a more positive view than you'd read in the newspapers. You know, people mm. are basically pretty nice, mm. more n- nice than they are on social media. That's so true. It's so true. And actually, I think that might account for why some of it, why why lockdown was so difficult because you become so disconnected from that. You, the only version of other humans is a digital one, and that doesn't, you know, no one is represented truthfully digitally. Yeah. So. But um, that's really interesting. I, I'm trying to fathom the idea of going from what is a could be a career highlight. and you've got to hold that in your head you've got to believe it's going to happen I actually I had Jessica Innes Hill the the Olympian and she talks about that in terms of sport you know you've got to believe you're going to win but you have to hold in your head the idea that you might not um at what time of day did you find out that that you hadn't won they have a sort of an exit what they call an exit poll at 10 a 10 and 10 p.m when the polls close um, and basically, the exit poll came in, and it was pretty bad. 
Mm. And these exit polls tend not to be wrong. So that was mm. a sort of, but I mean, yeah. and that slight, and it kind of came out of the blue, really, uh, because the other intelligence we'd had had been sort of relatively positive. But um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a massive, it's a kind of massive shock to the system. Uh, and it's also obviously a massive lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Um because you go from having a sort of full diary and being uh, kind of, you know, timetabled off your feet to having a sort of blank space, really. But I kind of knew from the moment that I lost that I wanted to stay around in politics. I'm obviously still an MP, as you say, a member mm-hmm. of the Shadow Cabinet. You know, I might not be the leader anymore, but I can still try and make a contribution to making the world better. So what have you learned about how to be cheerful, reasons to be cheerful? What what are your big takeaways over that period? Has it is it translated into the way you go about things? I think there's I think I think there's lots of different aspects of why of of sort of the optimism reasons to be cheerful. I think that there that if you look at other countries, there are lots of good ideas. You know, if if you think. God, childcare costs are a massive problem in this country. Mm-hmm. So many people find they are. You know, are there countries that do it much better than us? Yes, there are. Many of the Scandinavian countries, you know, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Norway, those, those kind of countries. You know, you think housing's a massive problem. Are there countries that do it differently? Mm-hmm. We, I did this trip to, to Vienna, to, to Austria with with Jeff to capital Vienna, uh, and. Uh, you know, it's got a really interesting sort of public housing, social housing system. Think about parental leave for fathers. Think about, you know, tackling climate change. There are great ideas from all around the world. Mm-hmm. And so part of the, part, that is partly what gives me uh, optimism. Yes. Um, I think I think also, and I explore this in the book, that people can often feel very powerless, but actually... I I kind of believe that actually what makes political change happen is not is politicians of course but 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 people demanding change. If you think about mm-hmm. the biggest change in my lifetime, which I think is LGBT rights, mm-hmm. it didn't happen simply because governments passed laws. It happened because the gay and lesbian people, you know, in the nineteen eighties said we're just not going to put up with this anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to demand change. And that's what, and then change, you know, change started to happen. And so, and I've got lots of stories in the book about people demanding higher minimum wages or that, you know, you stop investing in um, fossil fuel companies or, uh, you know, a whole range of movements and what they mm-hmm. can do. So, so it's that there are good examples out there that, that, and that, that people and that people could make change happen in small ways and and large ways. Um, and I suppose then finally that if you look at the sweep of history, can often feel not like this, but, you know, we do see positive change happening over time. Yes. Um, so, so I think that if I'm looking for sort of sources of optimism and what keeps me cheerful and what, what's the, what makes me cheerful in terms of the podcast and what the book is trying to do, I think it's those things. See, it's interesting as you're talking, I asked my audience last night how many of them felt optimistic for the future of the country. And it, and 95% said no. 
which yeah. is yeah it's, it's not a good place to be of course it's not I think people are disillusioned we've all had a, a, a tough couple of years and then I think and I'm speaking personally you feel yeah. like there's so, there's so many crises or what feel like crises that you you, you cannot you don't know where to begin and I and then because I'm trying to be an optimist I wonder whether when we get to what feel like these lows maybe is the turning point for yeah uprising feels extreme but for people to to yeah start making their feelings known yeah i mean look that is really uh i think you're saying something very important which is what do people feel do people feel a sense of optimism and if you look at the if you look at all of the data out there you know are people do people feel that their kids are going to have a better life than them and so on people tend not to feel that mm. and you know that sense in the country you know is is terrible and totally understandable after what we've seen in terms of covid what we've seen in terms of the pressures on living standards climate crisis and so on mm -hmm. uh but I think you're then also right that that sense of discontent has got to try and sort of spur us to find something better, to find, mm -hmm. you know, and if I had to describe what I am what I try and do in a small way in politics and maybe writing this book and so on, it's, it's, it's trying to say there are, there are other ways forward. There are other things we can do. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think you're completely right to identify that that mood and that sense of, mm. um, you know, people feeling, you know, well, to some extent, some, you know, some people feeling quite despairing, I think. There we go. Well, and, uh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, I mean, it didn't, it didn't stay that optimistic for very long. I think that's probably, but, but you know, it's, it was honest. And, um, and I feel like it's good to be able to speak about this. I don't, I didn't know how edited or not edited I would be, but when I got that stat from my audience last night, yeah, it's, it's really not a good state of affairs, is it? Yeah, but I think we've got to hold on to optimism. Yeah, I do. I definitely do.